Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. A lot of people don't like it when we're in the gym. I love it when we're in the gym. <clears throat> Being a, an alumni of uh, Amos Alonzo Stag High School, class of 95, class of 95. Uh, anybody else go to Stag? Yeah? Goes, all right. Yeah, that's great. See, I was in the, the band, and so the pep band, we, we were up there in the wrestling balcony filling this place with pep music during the basketball games, but I love filling this gym with praise songs. It just warms my heart. Very meaningful to me. How many of you, let's take a show of hands here, how many of you love roller coasters? Raise up your hand now, you're a roller coaster lover. Okay, hands down. How many of you hate roller coasters? Hands up. Okay, okay. Go ahead, put your hands down. Now, how many of you that hate roller coasters have been talked into going on roller coasters at some point? I found some pictures of people who hate roller coasters or or those kinds of thrill rides actually going on them, all right? So check this out. This is the first picture of somebody on a thrill ride. Now, look at the... (laughs) I love the reaction there. Okay, how about this next one? This is great. <laughs> who's, who's more frightened, the mom or the daughter? We don't, we don't really know. But some people can play it cool on these thrill rides. So here's the next one. I, I like this one. They staged that. Some of you want to try that now. You're like, oh, that's a good idea. Okay, and here's the next one, playing it cool on a thrill ride. <laughs> that's great. Now, when I think of David's life, we've been with David three weeks now. When I think of David's life, I think of roller coaster ride. Uh, Do you see the resemblance of David's life? I mean, think about it. When the kid was in his early teens, he was anointed king. Then when he was in his late teens, he killed Goliath. Then when he was in his early 20s, he worked for the king as the captain of the bodyguard. Then when he is in his late 20s, he's on the run, living in caves and forests and hills and holes, running around with hooligans and thugs and roller coaster ride. But here today, David finally gets to the throne. David on the throne. He's on the throne because King Saul and his son Jonathan, who would have been the heir, were killed in battle. God cleared the way for David to rise to the throne. And then when David was just 30 years old, he got control of uh, Judah. And then when he was 37, they made him the king over the whole of Israel. 37 years old, he was king overall. We've learned lessons of faith from David as a child. We've learned lessons of faith from David on the battlefield and David in the cave. But here now we arrive on the throne with him. And there's going to be three things he learns today from the throne. And we're going to learn about faith with him. Let's pray, and then we'll catch up with David. Father above, we thank you for this life of David that was so specifically documented in your word, meant to instruct us on how you deal with your followers and how you form faith within us. So show us, Lord, how this story that takes place a thousand years B.C. can teach us about you and about ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, grab your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is where we're heading. And uh, go ahead and turn there. It's 
better if you follow along. It's better if you have a bulletin and you take notes. That would, that's what I would call an engaged listener. And with the rattles and hums of this room, if you're not an engaged listener, you're going to be off doing your taxes before I'm at my first point. Okay, so just <laughs> be ready to be an engaged listener. 2 Samuel 7, verse 1, it says this. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him, I love this word, rest. From all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, first time he shows up, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. David is on the throne. He finally, finally has a time of rest. No one's chasing him. No one's fighting him. And he's going to get some answers. I think this is more than just David sitting down in a chair. This represents a season of life that every one of us will find. It's a time when the dissonance and the confusion and the the fear comes to a, a pause. And who knows how long it lasts, but it's a period of rest. It's a time to reflect on the past. It's a time to learn the lessons God has taught us. And it's a time to think of what's coming next. It's a time to think about the future. There's a few things that make this period special. First of all, the Ark of the Covenant is back. It's in Jerusalem now. It's in like the capital city of Israel and David wants to make it more prominent. He looks at the Ark and says, what is God's Ark doing in a tent? What's, what's the ark now? I've got a picture here. This is from Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, get it? So that's what I, I don't mean big boat ark. I mean ark as in the gold box that, uh, that Moses crafted. And if you know your history, God said this is going to be my throne on earth. This is God's throne. And in carrying it around, Israel was carrying around the very special, holy, awesome, powerful presence of God. But the Ark of the Covenant got captured in battle. It went on this little, you know, trek and in, in, uh, the Philistines knocked over their gods, came back, and they hadn't really brought it back to its place of prominence. So David's looking at God's throne, saying, what on earth is this doing in a tent? I want to make a temple for God's throne. What happened is surprising. Because as David looked at God's throne and started talking about it, God looked back at David's throne, started talking to David about his throne and his future. There's two thrones here in the same room. And what we'll see over the course of this message is that God fuses them together. But God first, before he talks about the things to come, begins to talk about what's already happened. This is a special chapter in the Bible because it's the longest speech that God has given since like Moses, since like Abraham's time. This is like the longest speech. God's got a lot to say here. In addition, it's the most detail we've been given about God's plan that's unfolding through the Old Testament since Abraham. All right, This is a very, very important chapter. Let's read on and see how God responds when David starts talking about his throne. The Lord is with you, verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. 
So Nathan was a little premature here. He was like, yeah, do it. God's with you. Build the temple. And then God's like, uh, wake up. Wake up. You didn't ask me about that. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Hey, here's the first lesson of faith David learns. Jot this down. I believe God ordered and directed my past. Fill that in. First thing God does is talks to David about his past. I believe God ordered and directed my past. In verse 3, Nathan the prophet says, It's obvious the Lord is with you. But in verse 9, God says, Correction, I have been with you. Wherever you've gone, God ordered and directed my past. God's making a really big statement here. After what he allowed into David's life, he allowed David's world to be turned upside down. I found a picture of a house that literally is upside down. Check this out. Here you <laughs> It's a tough housing market, but I know that one ain't going to get sold. <laughs> it's actually a novelty house. You could walk through it. But God did that to David's world. Now as David's seated on the throne, God says to him, I have been with you everywhere you went. It makes me wonder if there was at any point a flash in David's heart. Just this moment of anger or, or you've been with me everywhere I went? Really? Like when a demon-possessed king hurled a spear at my heart? You were there? You mean like when I had to be lowered down by my wife from a window and run for my life from the country that loved me? You were, you were there? You mean, you mean when I acted like a madman in, in, in enemy territory and drooled down my beard and then read, ran and fled for my life? You were, you were there? And then when the sun went down when I was living in a cave and I, I slept with bats? And then lived in forests and holes and you, you were there? Doing what? Do, this is a very daring and confrontational claim God makes to David. I was there everywhere you went. The immediate reaction we would have if you were there, then this is a crisis of faith. To believe God ordered and directed your past is a crisis of faith. In verse 7, God replays the tape. It says, in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, I wasn't just there for you, I was there for everyone. Throughout the wilderness, throughout the period of the judges, 
I didn't speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Jot this down. God was there. What was he doing? Working it for good. Working it for good. I've been moving about place to place with Israel. I've been appointing leaders. I've been with you everywhere you've gone. Which leaves you, which leaves me wondering, if you were there, why did this happen? If you were there, why didn't this happen? If you were there, what were you doing? God was working it out for good. You have to understand this. I guarantee you that you have not reconciled everything in your past with God yet. Understand this. God never promises you a pain-free past. Never. But by faith, your past can serve His purpose. You get that? Listen, don't look in your past and be like, oh, I got a broken one. Like He reached up off the shelf and pulled one down and it was broken. Not everybody got like a broken past like me. I've got... Listen, everyone has pain in their past. Everyone. Everyone in the room. There were things God allowed. There were things that God oversaw. There were things that were painful. But God was there. And you're not guaranteed a pain-free past. But if by faith you reconcile your past with the Lord, it will serve His purpose. God was there working it for good. Hebrews 13.5, let's put it up on the screen here. This is a promise that God makes that's incredible. Let's say this together. Lift up your voice. Let's say this together. Here we go. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What's your favorite word in that verse? What is your favorite word in that verse? Never is a big word. Never. Do you understand God put himself on the hook for every moment in your past, present, and future? Even if he wanted to, now that he promised, he couldn't be like, that's it, I'm out of here, you're on your own. Good luck. Never. Never one moment creates a crisis of faith. God was there. What what was he doing? Working it for good. However, jot this down, God's plan unfolded slowly. God's plan unfolded slowly. Fill that in. Verse 8, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over Israel. This was a very slow-moving plan. Early teens, like 12, 13 years old, Samuel shows up and David's just a shepherd and pours the oil on his head and Samuel says, you're going to be the next king. See ya. Then he goes back to watching animals. He's like 12 when God says you're going to be king. He's... 30 when it happens. He's 37 when he's king over the whole land. That's decades of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Is God making you wait for anything? A job? A spouse? Is he making you wait for healing? For physical wellness? For 
Is he making you wait for anything? Why? Why the wait? What's with the wait? Why is he making me wait? Is there something going on in heaven that's distracting my God? What's with the wait? No, the wait is on purpose. What good could it be? The wait, when you get squeezed, reveals weaknesses that that are dormant in your heart. When you get squeezed, the inside comes out. Your weaknesses, your flaws, the areas that need to grow all come out. The weight grows your character, and the weight teaches you that God can be trusted over time. The weight is God's plan. God's plan unfolded slowly. I read about a man who had to wait a long time for something. You ever lose your wallet, guys? You ever lose your wallet? I would venture to guess 100% of the men in this room have at one point or another lost their wallet. The guy by the name of Richard Lane lost his wallet, and then it was found. <laughs> 35 years later. <laughs> Again, this is amazing. He lost it in 1978. Never expected that he'd find it. But then, at a local gym, uh, they were cleaning out an elevator shaft, and behold, they found this wallet that was at the bottom of the elevator shaft. That when he lost it, he thought somebody stole it. It had money, a driver's license, a union card, and a payment plan for his TV. He thought he'd never see it again. But when they found it, they tracked him down. He lived 100 miles away, and they presented him with this wallet. After 35 years, sadly, the money was gone. 35 years he had to wait to find his wallet. David had to wait decades to get on the throne. I believe God ordered and directed my past. Hey, do you believe that? That God was there working it for good? Hey, do you believe that? That God's plan was unfolding slowly. Third, God's sovereign will prevailed. Write that down. God's sovereign will prevailed. Verse 9. I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Cut off all your enemies. In other words, there were some things in David's life that God did not approve of. There were some threats to God's plan. And over time, eventually, God finally did away with them. But during the process, God stood opposed to those things in his life. In the end, it was God's sovereign plan that prevailed. What does that mean about your past? That means that there's some things in your past that God did not endorse. There's some pain from your past that God is not the blameworthy cause of. If there's pain in your past and suffering from your sin or from the sin of other people, that was not God's direct doing. He allowed it for a reason, but as Joseph said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for what? For good. But his sovereign purpose took time. His resolution to that pain took time. You have to understand that even though it's painful, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, there are certain things in your life that God's like, I know, I know, I know. I'm not for that either. I don't want that either. And my sovereign will will prevail. Be patient. Be patient. Yeah, there's some things in your past that you're still trying to reconcile with God. I think a good image for our past is uh, captured in this picture. This is a picture of a train. And I think that our past baggage is kind of like like train cars. And in moments like this, God's turning David around and talking to him about his past so that that David can turn around and, and uncouple these burdens that are 
slowing him down and just release them into the presence of the Lord so that it doesn't prevent what God's going to do next. Are there things in your past that you have to bring into the presence of the Lord and reconcile by faith? Lord, I know you were there. Lord, I know your plan was unfolding. Lord, I believe your sovereign will has or will prevail. I believe God ordered and directed my past. God's plan for your past will prevail if you walk by faith. Well, there's a second point here. First about the past, then God starts talking about the future. Jot this down. I trust God to order and direct my future. I believe God ordered and directed my past, so I now trust God to order and direct my future. Look at verse 9. Are you there? Look down at verse 9. It says, I have been with you wherever you went, cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will. Verse 3, the Lord is with you. Verse 9, I have been with you. Now, now verse 9, I will. Future. Do what? Make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. This is amazing. God just promised <laughs> to be the press secretary for David forever. God just said, I'm going to make you great. How great? As great as the greatest people who've ever walked the earth. This is amazing. All right, so throw out the name of somebody who's like pretty great throughout history. Just throw out the name of anybody. Give me a name. Who's that? Abraham Lincoln. Give me another one. Albert Einstein. The hair. The brain. Mother Teresa. What would it do in your heart if God at one point Said, said, listen, John, listen. Abraham Lincoln, pff, Mother Teresa, George Washington. Nobody's compared to who I'm going to make you. I'm going to give you a name like the greatest names of all history. Wow. God's talking to David about his future. And what God is saying spans centuries. I'm going to make your name great, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Verse 10, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. Now God's talking about David's people. Let me talk to you about your kingdom. They're going to be secure. They're going to be protected. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. How, that doesn't mean a literal house. It means like a dynasty or, or a name or a kingdom. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that means die. God's now going to talk to David about what happens after he dies. David, you're going to be great. But you're going to die. You're going to die. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He's talking about David's uh, a successor, successor now. The person who's going to come next is kids. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Ooh, now there's a word that caught David's attention. Forever. 
I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure, there it is again, forever before me. Your throne shall be established, here's the third time, forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Here's the first thing we see in this. Jot this down. God alone brings security, peace, and blessing in this life. God alone brings security, peace, and blessing in this life. I'm going to make you a name. I'm in charge of your reputation. Uh, They say that all of us is going to get 10 minutes of fame in this lifetime at least. How many of you have had your 10 minutes of fame at some point already in your life? Go ahead, hold your hands up if you've seen that. Great, awesome. I got mine. I got mine when I was back in fourth grade. Fourth grade, early riser. Uh, I, I was on the Bozo Show. Are you impressed? Do you remember the Bozo Show? We got a picture here. There's Bozo the Clown. There's Bozo. I got, I got picked, hand-selected, as one of only like 10 kids to play the game. Bozo says... Bozo says, touch your nose. Bozo says, stand on one foot. Bozo said, you know, you know touch, touch, touch your, your ear. Bozo didn't say. And, and it was intense competition. And it was down to just me and one other girl. And I was on it. Touch the nose. Stand on one foot. Turn in a circle. Sit right. And then, and I won. I got the world's largest box of cookies as a prize. And the kids in my elementary school saw this. And so after that, when I would walk around my elementary school, they'd be like, you're the bozo guy. Be like, yeah, yeah, that's me. That's me. You want a cookie? I got plenty. There's a cookie. I was like a little local celebrity. All the kids in, you know, like, oh, you're, you're on the bozo show. Yeah, that's me. That was me. That was my 10 minutes. Big deal, right? I mean, big deal. Like, but, but here, God talks to David and says, I'm the one in charge of making you something. So my question for you is, when it comes to your future, is God your plan A? Is God your plan A for everything that you're hoping to become? You see, because if you put yourself in charge of your own campaign, and and you're going after making yourself a somebody, and you're racing down the path of trying to get all this money, and you're the power, the money, the toys, that you're trying to gain the whole world. And have you surrendered your future to the Lord? Because God alone brings security, peace, and blessing in this life. There are people perhaps in this room who have spent years building up their own kingdom only to see it washed away. Why? Because it was built on sand. And if you're you're the one in charge of your own future, if you're the one racing after your own name, you're like the Tower of Babel, and here you are trying to make a name for yourself. And God's like, yeah, that's going to be, it's going to fall down. But if God's the one who's dis- deciding who you're becoming, what you're doing, who you're marrying, what you're giving your life toward, that's going to be a secure and established and blessed place when you arrive. I trust God to order and direct my future. Our only assurance in a future filled with uncertainty is God's presence and His promise. 
All other ground is sinking sand. And God showed David his power to establish him. Well, jot this down. Here's the next sub-point. God alone brings security, peace, and blessing in the next life. In the next life. God alone brings security, peace, and blessing in the next life. What God says here to David is astonishing. He talks to him about his kid. And then he talks to him about his grandkids. And then he mentions forever. He's he's talking about the future. Uh, Try and predict the next 400 years of politics in the United States of America. Go ahead and try and do it. Okay, if I started talking to you about the 2412 elections, would you think I was a weirdo? Hey, let me tell you what's going to be going on in the United States in 2412. Let me give you a little rundown of the political landscape. David is going to have 400 years worth of people on the throne, and God calls it in advance. He's telling him about the next 400 years of politics. That teaches you that God sees your future. He sees your kid's future. He sees your grandkid's future. He could tell you about it. Family tree, they've got Ancestry.com. You can map your family tree, and you know what? God could give you the next 400 years of your family tree if he wanted to. He could draw it on a napkin. Does that blow your mind? That your future is already known to him? Whatever it is you're fearful of, you're fretting about, you're afraid, God's like, I could tell you all of it. And he's in control. But God doesn't just stretch what he's saying here out in this life. He starts using the word forever. What does it mean? Three times he says forever. Your throne will be established forever. This This is what's called now here the Davidic covenant. Covenant is a binding promise God makes to secure his plan in our minds. That's a covenant. He's made a covenant with people before. He's made a covenant with Noah. Remember that? He said, never again because of your faith, because I looked down and you found favor with me. I'm holding back the floodwaters of my wrath because of you. Every time you see a rainbow, remember that it's because of Noah and his faith that God is not pouring out his wrath on you. as a covenant. God also says to Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. There's going, to be, there's going to be a land, a seed, and a blessing in your future. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Meaning, I'm not just holding back the wrath. I'm unleashing the blessing globally through your offspring. And then God, God kind of got quiet about this plan. This is about 2000 BC. He mentioned that to Abraham. And he doesn't talk too much about how this plan's going to unfold in Moses' day. Moses just made this little statement. He said, After me, God will raise up a prophet like myself. You must listen to him. That's about all we get about the offspring. And so here in this chapter, God does more than he's done since Abraham to start forming our thinking on his plan that's been unfolding since the beginning. And David is realizing that his story is bigger than David. David's story is bigger than David. His story fits into the larger story God's been writing. And two thrones are here, David's and God's, and God, in this passage, fuses the two thrones together and helps David to see that God is getting an eternal kingdom ready. And he's using David to do it. But how? Well, that leads us to our third point. This third point I gave an upgrade, so the one in your bulletin is out of date. You've got to write this down. Third point. By faith, I see how my story fits into God's eternal story. By faith, I see how my story 
fits into God's eternal story. Go ahead and fill that in. And ask yourself this. How can you understand your place in this life? How can you understand how your story fits into the bigger picture? Well, let's see how David reacted to this. This is going to give us a clue into how we figure out our part in this story. We're now here at verse 18. Verse 18, it says this. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. Verse 22. There is no one like you and there is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. This is so amazing. This is the day that David finds out God's going to make him great and his greatness is going to somehow stretch into forever and David's reaction is not, wow, I'm all that. Look at how amazing I am. Check out me. Which is what many of us are doing with our life. We're trying to make it all about, look at me, check me out. Look at my portfolio. Look at my car. My, me, me. And the moment that David gets more fame than any of us can possibly imagine, he steps back and says, look at God. Wow. The most impressive thing about any person is how impressed they are with God. You catch that? Don't look at their car. Don't look at their wallet. Don't look at their house. The most impressive thing about any person is how impressed they are with God. And at the moment when David got all that he could possibly imagine, he looks up and says, wow. You are amazing. He goes on to say, in verse 23, verse 22, Therefore you are great, O Lord. There is none like you. There is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed by yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. 24, and you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. Now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Verse 28. Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Three things to notice about David's reaction here. How do I see how my story fits into God's eternal story? Well, jot this down. David displays humility. David displays humility. He says, who am I? You have brought me thus far. You know me. There is no one like you. Your name be magnified forever. You are God, and it's your blessing that will do this. 
Are you humble enough to recognize that your life is not about you? Your future is not about you. You've been put here to love and serve God. To love and serve others. If you try and make your life one big attempt to get God to love and serve you and others to love and serve you, you're living upside down. It's not what you were made for. David displayed humility. Second, David adopts a servant's heart. Jot that down. David adopts a servant's heart. Two times God calls David his servant. Ten times David calls himself a servant or slave of God. This is more than anyone else in the Old Testament. David says, I'm a servant, 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 servant. He drilled it into his skull. I am here to serve him. This is a man who had an entire kingdom at his beck and call. And he kept saying, servant, 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 servant. Third, David displays faith in what he hears. He displayed humility. He adopted a servant's heart. He displayed faith in what he hears. He says, because of your promise. He says, according to all we heard. He said, your words are true. He said, you have promised. Which means he understood God's plan was revealed by God's voice. God disclosed the plan. And that makes you realize this. Do you know, do you even understand and realize, have you ever been taught before that God has a plan? Do you know that God has a plan? That his plan has been unfolding throughout all of the chaos and carnage of human history? Since in the garden when he began talking about it, do you understand God has a plan? Do you understand that your life is simply a part of that plan woven into what God's been doing since the beginning? Do you see how your life fits into this plan? David's life fit into the plan. Let me tell you how. This promise he made to David was partially fulfilled in Solomon's day. God did raise up Solomon and he did establish his kingdom. But Solomon did not live up to the ideal that God demanded. And so by the end of Solomon's reign, most of the kingdom was torn out of his, after he died, most of the kingdom was torn out of David's ancestors, given to someone else. And then for 400 years, God put a a man after David's lineage on the throne. But then even after that, Israel failed and they were exiled. They were humiliated. And there was nobody from David's line sitting on the throne ruling. And it left Israel wondering, what happened to God's plan? In Psalm 89, 35, it gives voice to this tension. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. The psalmist is quoting God's promise back to him. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. Listen. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. Lord, the earthly kings have failed and David's crown is in the dirt. Did your promise fail? What's your plan? And then the prophets helped to process this problem, giving us an answer. It was from this promise and from the failure of the earthly kings that the thought the need, the craving, the cry for one Messiah shepherd king came. All of the promises of Christ 
here, from here on, were based on the Davidic hope that there would be a king who would fulfill this promise. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says this, you know this verse, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Listen, listen. On the throne of who? On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There would be one offspring of David who would come, who would fulfill the promise to be enthroned forever. Who is it? Well, Luke one thirty two removes all question of doubt. The angel said of the birth of Christ, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. The wise men came from the east and said what? Where is the one who was born? What? Where is the one who was born? King. 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 What is God's plan? What is God's plan unfolding throughout all the chaos of human history? It's it's simple. It's clear. God told Eve what? Your offspring will crush the serpent's head. Someone coming in humanity would defeat evil. And it becomes clear throughout Scripture that God was talking about one person. What's the promise to Abraham? Through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it becomes clear that that's going to come through one offspring. David, your descendants are going to rule, but, but there's going to be one of them to rule forever. One offspring who would crush evil, who would bring a blessing into all the earth, who would reign eternally. And then when you realize it's the same person, you understand that God has a plan. And God's plan is a person. And the person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see God's plan throughout history from the very beginning has been to raise up a Messiah, shepherd, king. If you don't understand that Jesus is the star of all of human history, your story will never make sense. Your past won't make sense. Your present won't make sense. Your future won't turn out. And your eternity will not be good. Even David knew that there was one descendant in particular who was being spoken of here. In Matthew 22, 41, the Pharisees were gathered together and Jesus decided to give them a pop quiz, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then David in the spirit calls him Lord? Then Jesus quotes Psalm 110, which David wrote. David said this, the Lord, that's God, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. The Lord, my God, said to my Lord, somebody else, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus says, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? David looked up and said, the Lord's going to say to somebody else, and that somebody else who's seated at the right hand of God is going to be, even though he's my descendant, he's my Lord. David is a king who knew he needed a king. A king far greater than himself. 
That king was the Lord Jesus Christ who came into the world. My question for you, this is the last point here. This is one that you have to ponder, that you have to make a decision on. Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is the eternal king who governs heaven and earth forever? Do you believe Jesus is the eternal king who governs heaven and earth forever? Because that's the fulfillment of this promise made to David a thousand years before Christ. What's your hope for eternity? Where do you think you'll go? Who do you think will be in charge? How do you think you'll stay there forever? The only hope the Bible gives you is you have to be a card-carrying member of the kingdom of God, and that kingdom has one king, the Lord Jesus Christ. My question for you is this. Has there been a time in your past, in your life, where you tried to sort through all of your life, and you've understood that God wants you to have a king, to bring order to your chaos, to bring peace to your present, to bring hope to your forever. Do you understand, as David did, that you need a Lord, and that Lord's name is Jesus Christ? Are you still trying to self-govern? you still trying to self-rule? you still trying to usurp the throne of a holy God? Are you still ignoring the promises he made throughout the Old Testament that culminated in the New? Maybe God brought you here this morning so that you can finally, once and for all, bend the knee before God's plan the person of Jesus Christ. Crown him king of your life and find hope forever. I want to give you a chance to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior through faith right now. Let's all bow our heads, let's close our eyes, and let's pray together. Father, I understand that this world seems out of control. I understand that many in this room have pain in their past that they have not understood. I understand that many here live with fear that they don't know if they're going to heaven or not. But here you reveal, a thousand years before Christ, that you would raise up a king who would rule forever. You identified him by angels. He is the hope of the world, the light of the world. Lord, I pray for any here this morning who do not have the security, the hope of knowing that Jesus Christ is their King and their Savior. Lord, I'm thinking of those right now. You've gotten their attention. You've revealed to them Jesus is the culmination of your plan. I pray for those who are ready to bend the knee before the King of Kings. Lord, those folks may want to pray along with me in their hearts saying this, Father in heaven, you are God and I am not. Here and now I bow my life before you. Here and now I give everything to you. I confess I am just a sinful, undeserving person. But your son died on the cross for me. He was raised to life and he ascended to the right hand the throne of God. He alone can give me life. He alone can give me peace. Save me and receive me into your kingdom. Father, for those who prayed along with me right now, give them peace that you have called them unto salvation. 
Give them peace that their salvation is a part of your plan that you have been determining all along. Give them peace that you will never leave them and never forsake them. And we pray this by hope and faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.